Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, and his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson, bringing to you biblical insights and stories from the country doctor's rusty, dusty scrapbook. Well, today I have a very special guest with me. His name is Vic Dabney. Vic was a representative in the South Carolina State House for two years, but prior to that, he was a in the military for 28 years, and he has a very colorful history. So, Vic, I want you to tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Go right ahead. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Well, first of all, I was uh, born and raised here in, in Camden, or I was actually born in Sumter and raised in Camden and spent my whole uh, formative years here. I joined the military. I started out as a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne. After I made sergeant, I uh, was had the opportunity to go to flight school and became a Cobra pilot and served in the 101st Airborne. And then later, after uh, going from different post to post and uh, serving uh time at the flight school in Fort Rucker, Alabama as an instructor. I ended up in the uh, first cab division as an Apache pilot, which most of my time in the army was spent as an Apache pilot and instructor pilot. I got you. But it's, you know, and then after I retired after 28 years, I went to work here in South Carolina at McIntyre National Guard base as a civilian flight instructor. So I continued to train Apache pilots for another 12 years after I left active duty. But that, you know, so that's my professional life is, is military. I'm married to my wife, Patsy. We've been married 46 years. We have four children, 20 grandchildren, three great-grandchildren. Ah, goodness. And I like to tell people all of them have my DNA in them. They're not from mixed marriages and all that. I'm not, you know, making, uh, looking down on that. I'm just saying that we, we, uh, they're all mine. I hear you. But Politically, that's what I want to talk about tonight. You know, my military service was was good and I enjoyed it and I deployed multiple times. I spent many years away from home. But but a lot of people can say that. But what I want to talk about is my political uh, activism that started when I was a teenager. When I was 16 years old, I wrote a letter to the editor of the local Camden newspaper blasting the citizens for not getting out to vote in a primary. And I, I believe the turnout was 14%. I can't remember, but I wrote a long letter to the editor and my mother begged me not to put it in the paper. And I did anyway. And I, I really shamed the people as much as I could. So that was when I was 16. That was almost 50 years ago. So I have been speaking out and, and stepping up my whole life. Even during the military, I was the one that would stand up and speak out and sometimes get myself in some hot water. Uh, but it all worked out. I did retire as a chief warrant officer five for anybody that's familiar with the warrant officer career track. I was a CW five the last five years I was in the army, but I, I was constantly speaking out against some of the craziness that I saw going on in the military. I, I saw the military in my 28 years go from or watched it transform itself from a very conservative organization to a very liberal organization. It's unbelievable right now how liberal our military is, but that's part of the plan. You've got to infiltrate every institution, and that's what the left has done. They've infiltrated everything from education to military and government and everything else. So 
here I am in South Carolina, get, got very involved at, after I retired, got very involved in local politics and actually stayed in national politics. My wife actually worked for Michelle Bachman's presidential campaign in 2011. And we both were uh, heavily involved, deeply involved with the Ted Cruz campaign in 2015 and 16. We were actually national volunteers of the week one week, but we spent thousands of hours and just lots of energy and money on the Ted Cruz campaign. We really thought that he was uh, he was going to be the, the guy that was going to get us out of the mess that we were in. Um, and then after all that was over with, I was involved with other campaigns and doing this. Uh, my wife and I just did a lot of support for a lot of people uh, from putting on rallies, um, dinners and um, luncheons, you know, going out and putting out signs. We, we just did a lot of groundwork for a lot of candidates. And then people started asking me, when are you going to run? When are you going to, you know, quit being the coach or the trainer or whatever? When are you going to get on the ball field and actually be a player? They said and it's time I told my to quit wife, being well, so reticent and shy and retiring. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. When, uh, you know, when was I going to start speaking out? So I said, well, 2020 came along and I told my wife after this crazy COVID stuff, you know, and it, it actually even right before that, I decided it was time to run, put up or shut up. I said, I'm going to end up being that that voice in the corner that nobody wants to listen to anymore if I don't put myself on the line. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to run for this house seat over here. It was house seat 52. And. For many years, Kershaw County has been a Democrat stronghold. And the lady who held that seat, she was uh, had held it, I think, for uh, six, seven or eight terms. Very nice lady, Lori Funderburg. Um, I really liked her, but she was a Democrat and she um, you know, voted with the Democrats. So I said, it's time for the conservatives over here in Kershaw County to have a choice. So I didn't attack her. I just ran my campaign. Uh, drawing a very distinct line between her politics and my politics, because I told people, I don't want you to be surprised if I get elected. I don't want you to wake up with buyer's remorse. I want you to know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. And so I made it real clear what people were going to get. Well, and during this campaign, it looked towards the end, it looked like I was going to win when everybody said I was wasting my time at the beginning. They said I was being foolish. And I said, no, I'm just giving the people a choice. It's, you know, it's it's my chance to to give back to the com- community. Well, my wife said, well, looks like you might win this thing. What's going to happen to your job at McIntyre? And I said, well, I'll have to quit. And she said, you, you, you know, what about our financial future? And I said, well, we'll figure it out because I had planned on working another four or five years. So that was a substantial amount of lost income. Well, in the, you know, of course, I won. I did have to leave my job at McIntyre and it was a financial uh I won't say a crisis, but it was a, a a burden. We went from being very financially independent to having to, you know, watch what where we spent our money and and you know and and that sort of thing. But I told my wife, I said, the founding fathers, the the men who went and put, the, they risked everything for this country to to found this country. I said, if we can't do that now, we're, we're going to lose our country. It won't matter if I have a job four years from now. It won't. It, it won't it won't matter. We're going to lose our freedom. So what difference does it make? So I sacrificed as much, well, everything I had to to run and win and serve for the few years that I, I served. And I don't regret it. It just, 
and I'm not bragging. I'm just telling the people that this is what it's going to take if we're going to win our country back because we're losing. We've been at war for, you know, maybe even 100 years. The other side's been playing the game as a war. We, we've not been playing that way, but we're in a war. We're being attacked from every angle. And if men and women in this country don't start sacrificing, it's going to be over. And, and I put my money where my mouth was so that I can say the things I'm saying now, because it, all you have to do is ask anybody that knows me and they'll say, yep, every bit of that's true. Vic gave up everything for this and he puts his money where his mouth is. I hear you. I hear you. Well, what happened when you got to the state house? Well, got over there and I was stunned, first of all, at the fact that everybody was wearing a mask. This was in early, you know, January 2021. Um, In fact, I showed up for orientation. I was not wearing a mask because I didn't wear a mask. And actually, my buddy R.J. May, he wasn't wearing a mask either. But the other 13 so-called freshmen were wearing a mask. And so were the leadership when they came in to brief us and to give us our orientation. And the funny thing is, Dr. Jackson, that was early in the morning. By lunchtime, most everybody had taken their mask off. And I looked at RJ and I said, they were now these are members of the state house. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. said, they just were looking for a leader. And here we are. That's right. And RJ is a young fella. He's half my age. And I said, they're just looking for leadership. Even even our elected officials. That's right. In a lot of cases are looking for somebody to stand up and take the lead. That's right. So. We didn't, me and RJ didn't wear masks for a few weeks, and we were the only two members sitting in on the floor that weren't wearing masks. So the speaker called me in one day and asked me to please put on a mask. It would make his life a lot simpler. So I went to RJ, and we both agreed we'd wear masks, and we did it for a few weeks. And I looked at RJ one day, and I said, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. And we took our mask off, and <laughs> before long, nobody, hardly anybody, at least on the Republican side, was wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, everything, it, it, just like I warn people, they're going to keep moving the carrot mm-hmm. and they're, it's going to keep escalating. You know, the, the whole COVID thing, when it started in uh, the year prior to that, I warned everybody that this is, this is, this is not going to be good. This, they quit talking about the flu and now they're talking about this mysterious COVID. So I'm backing up a year. I'm, yep. So bear with me for a second. That's all right. So you know, going back to a year prior before I got elected, I warned people they've timed this. And when I say they government officials and it seemed like the school system all across the country was in on it because they timed it with spring break. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're going to take an extra week and we're going to flatten the curve. Well, then that extra week became um, we're going to just go ahead and push it to Easter since everybody's kind of comfortable with being at home right now. We're going to move this thing to Easter and then we'll get back to normal. And I warned people, I said, watch out that you, they're just testing us to see how much we'll put up with. And so this is a year before I got elected to office. I was warning people, do not wear the mask. Do not stay home. Most people can't stay home anyway. No, I mean, work. I had to go to work. Yeah, you gotta work. I had to physically be at work. And most people, if you're not in the government, you have to physically go to work. Because work means you have to move something. You have to do something physical. So, you know, as, you know, the Easter came and went, and now we're going to move it to Memorial Day. We're going to just, since we've already been out of school a month, let's just go ahead another month Mm -hmm. and go ahead and finish this year out. And then we'll have the summer to recover. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is the summer of 2020. I warned people. I said, this is leading up to this is the cover they're going to use for massive voter fraud. So people at the time thought I was crazy. Now they think I had a crystal ball. Yep. Yep. So sure enough, I still believe it, it was the cover they used for massive voter fraud. Because if you remember, the kids didn't even go back to school in August and September. They delayed that for a few more weeks. They had to keep the crisis on the front burner. They had to keep scaring people. Okay, so then I'll go back to where I was. I got elected. um, And even during the the campaign, people were telling me, including my campaign manager, were telling me, Vic, quit talking about COVID. It's going to go away. And if you don't quit talking about it, you're going to look crazy. And I said, you know what? This is what I do. And if the people don't want to elect me because they think I'm crazy, then don't elect me. I said, but I'm, this is what I, this is who I am. And this is what I do. I speak the truth. I can see into the future. I, you know, I can, I look at the second and third order of effects or the ripple effects of all these decisions. And God gave me the ability to see what happens downstream when you make these terrible decisions. Yep. And, and I was, I guess, either blessed or cursed with that ability. But anyway, I got elected, went to the state house, you know, got involved with all that craziness. So then as you know, so I'm back to 2021 now. We're, we're in 2021, and it just kept, you know, the government kept ramping things up. And then the vaccine mandate came out. I right. think that was either in August or sept. I think it was either in August or early September of 2021. That's right. People, that's when people started calling me, some of them in tears, telling me, you know, what are y'all doing for us at the statehouse? I'm going to lose my job. And a lot of them were nurses and medical professionals, medical salespeople and whatnot that were being told you're going to have to have the vaccine by I think it was by either the end of November or in the December of 2021 or you're going to lose your job. I was one of these people people were desperate. Yep. Um, Yeah. And and they were not going to take the vaccine. Now, I will say this about all those brave people. They they were digging their heels in. They were not going to take the vaccine. So they knew. They were going to lose their jobs and they didn't know what to do other than call their elected officials, which they, you know, I had just call after call every day of these people, very emotional. Some of them, like I said, just crying their eyes out. What are we going to do? What, do you, what are y'all going to do in the state house to help us? So that summer of 2021, we had a, um, our summer Republican caucus luncheon. And during that luncheon, my bu- buddy, uh, Stuart Jones from the upstate, from Lawrence, he asked the speaker, can we go back into session, special session to to put up a bill to fight this man, this vaccine mandate? And the speaker nearly bit his head off. It was unbelievable how angry the speaker got. So I, and I don't the, want to go into a lot of detail there, but the bottom line is he would not bring us back into special session. But later. Um, that was, like I said, late August, early September. We So we started, we, me and uh, 10 other members of the House, most of the guys that are in the Freedom Caucus right now, mm-hmm. we started trying to get an appointment with the governor. Now, as members of the House, you should be able to get an appointment with the governor pretty much on, um, you know, within a couple of days. Yep. It took us weeks, I think it was six weeks, before he would meet with us. Now, during that six-week six period, Dr. Jackson, my phone, was, every day people were calling me crying. 
Uh I mean, it was an incredible amount of stress for me because I'm in the state house and I kept telling them we're we're trying, but the leadership is standing in the way. Yeah. And it was very difficult for me to be able to, you know, to explain that to people. But anyway, we finally met with the governor, Governor McMaster, and I'll never forget. I was sitting at one end of the long, this long table, and there were there were a total of 11 of us at the table. And he came walking in from a door um, on the other end of the room. And he walked in and he said, well, fellas, what's the emergency? And Dr. Jackson, I about lost my mind when he said that. Hmm. And I said, I told him when it was my turn to speak, I said, you don't get phone calls from citizens. People can't just pick up the phone and call the governor, but they can pick up the phone and call Vic Dabney and Stuart Jones and Josiah Magnuson and Patrick Haddon. But they can't just call the governor. I said, we are getting calls every single day with people crying. And he said, well, there's nothing I can do. This is a federal thing. And I told the governor, I said, you meet with big business all the time. That's what you do. And let's face it. Big business is what runs the show around here. You meet with Boeing. You meet with BMW, Nafron Pharmaceuticals, uh, Michelin Tire. You meet with these folks. You tell them. That if they don't start standing up to these mandates, if they don't start pushing back, because that's where, you know, the big money is and big money is where it matters. I said, you get that big money to start pushing back or tell them we're going to cut them off. They're not going to get the tax credits that we've been giving them. They're not going to get the breaks that we've been giving them. You know, when they start hurting the the very taxpayer that is funding all these benefits for them, then we're going to cut them off. I said, that's where you can help out. And you can let the people of South Carolina know you're going to do that. And he just stared at me. That's right. So that right. was the end of that. <sighs> oh, my stars. Oh, my mm. stars. Beholden to the big industries rather than to the individual taxpayer. Absolutely. Absolutely. I told the governor then, I said, if this was a health crisis, this was the same at the same meeting. I said, if this was a health crisis, the border would be closed. We would have the military on the southern border. I said, we're letting people come in by the thousands, but we're telling our citizens they've got to get a vaccine. I said, you don't think there's something wrong with that? Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we got through with that. Um, nothing happened. The governor did nothing. Um, so then December rolled around and we had to go back into session for redistricting. So during that process, and I'm going to try to cut this as short, as short as possible, this same group, me and my buddies over there that are basically the Freedom Caucus now, we put up such a fight, and the citizens, we encourage citizens to call the leadership, the speaker and other leaders, and tell them we need, we have got to put up a bill that, that will at least show the people that we, we in the state house care about them and we are trying to stop this vaccine mandate. The, the, again, the speaker became very upset. He was nearly furious over the fact that we were forcing this. Long story short, we did get a bill in. Um, I think it was at the end of the first week or second week of December before Christmas that stood between the folks um, and the, the vaccine mandate. But, I mean, we were at the 11th, 11th hour, 11th hour at that point. Mm-hmm. Um now, I want to say this while I'm talking about, you know, I've mentioned the speaker several times and how furious he got and how he didn't want to do anything about the vaccine mandate. and He didn't want to bring us in a special session. He didn't want to stand up for the people. Six months after all of this happened, he was he stepped down as speaker. He did not run for reelection for his House seat and he went to work for Prisma Health. 
for a health care industry. Well, how about yeah, let that? that soak in? How about that? So he gets, so, re- he gets rewarded for standing in the way. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, I don't want to say anything that uh, that I could be, you know, could be held as liable or whatever. But the fact of the matter is the man stood in the way. And six months later, he was working for a Prisma Health as the, one of their senior vice presidents. Mm-hmm. Kind of smells, doesn't it? Oh, and let me say this also during right after Christmas of, of 2021. So the early 2022. So just just a little more than a year ago. I found out by accident, I bumped into some guys out behind the state house and civilians who were telling me, I, I walked up to them and spoke to them and they told me what they were there for. They were talking about the national guard kicking out soldiers and airmen for not taking the vaccine. I said, you're kidding me. I didn't know that was happening. Hmm. And they said, Oh yeah, the air guard has already started kicking people out. And the army has, I think the deadline was March 31st, I mean, May 31st of 2022 Mm -hmm. um, was their deadline. And I said, you got to be kidding me. So I went on the attack and and really went hard at the adjutant general. I I ended up in one meeting. I had the adjutant general, his entire staff, his senior staff and six members of the House of Representatives. We filled up a room. I think we met for nearly three hours. And I challenged him to stand up as the commander of the South Carolina National Guard and not allow this to happen. But he would not um, assert his authority. He He said that the South Carolina National Guard is controlled by the Secretary of Defense. And I said, no, it's not. It's controlled by you and the governor. The governor's the commander in chief. Well, during this same period of time, the governor would not say he was commander in chief. I challenged him. Admit that you're you are or are not the commander in chief of the South Carolina National Guard. And he would not admit that he was the commander in chief. He said the president, President Biden was no. the commander in chief of the national the South Carolina National Guard. And that is false. false the is governor's commander in chief and the adjutant line. general is the commanding officer. That's right. Exactly but neither right. one of those people would stand up and fight for those soldiers and airmen. And they ruined lives. Ruined lives were ruined. Ruined their careers. 20, now, now they're letting some of those men back in, or you know, the mandate's been dropped, but those lives have been ruined. Yeah. And these are soldiers and airmen that have deployed for mil- multiple times a- around this world, yep. and they were kicked to the curb with a bad discharge, with That's a letter right. of reprimand for not complying with the uh, vaccine. That's right. That's right. I know. I'm sorry to get so worked up, but that's just that's up. this is the way this is the way I do things. That's exactly right. You ought to be worked up about that. I they asked me to come down there and testify to the adjutant general, and I did, and I told him all about the uh, the dangers of the vaccine and the harms that it would bring to our uh, military men and women, and uh, and he listened politely, and uh, and and the 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 mandate was uh, set to to start in I think the month of May of last year and he actually moved it up from may to february the very week that i went down there and testified mm-hmm. just to spite people mm-hmm. and i was i was shocked i was shocked and there was a room full of of military doctors and lawyers in that room and and some of them were just laughing up their sleeves at the information that i was sharing with them as if it were not true but every bit of the information i shared with them was factual and true and I, I tell you what, it, it was hurtful to my heart to to see that 
unfolding in front of my very eyes. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that several weeks after that happened that the governor did finally, finally end the vaccine mandate for the the air guard. I don't know about the army guard, but he did for the for the air guard. And um, but it was it, so many people were were discharged dishonorably or put with a reprimand before he finally stepped in and did something. And uh, I just was so hurtful to my heart for these men and women who'd served for so long in the military. And I appreciate you, Vic. I really want you to know that I appreciate you standing up for the citizens of our state and standing up for the men and women in our military. The Lord knows that we need God-fearing men like yourself who are unafraid to stand up for our citizens and stand up for the men and women in our military. And I want you to know I appreciate you. We need more folks like you to, to be in the military and to run for office who aren't afraid to speak up. Well, I appreciate it, Dr. Jackson, and I'm not going away. I'm not going to quit fighting. Um, you know, there's it's it's frustrating and sometimes it's very discouraging, but I'm not going to quit. Well, listen, God's called you and me for such a time as this. You know that. And um, God's hand of blessings will be on your life. His hand of blessing will be on my life. And he's raising up an army of folks just like you and me for just such a time as this. You're listening to More Than Medicine. My guest today is Victor Dabney from Camden, South Carolina. Vic, thank you for your time, and the Lord bless you. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Have a good evening. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.